0: Welcome to STEM Lab, where we discuss preparing students for success
1: in a rapidly changing world. And here's your host, Michael Newsome. Happy to have you here with us today on STEM Lab. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at the integration of STEM into the curriculum with other disciplines. We're going to be looking at how STEM interacts with the community. There have been a couple of strands that I have noticed in the episodes we've done so far. Can you believe that we're already at episode nine? Wasn't quite sure where we were going to end up with this, but it's been exciting. I've been enjoying it. One of the strands, of course, is this idea that we need to teach students how to think. Another strand is this idea that students need to be able to apply things in the real world. How do we go about doing that? There are a lot of ideas out there. You have project-based learning, of course. You have research and inquiry. You have projects with the community, with the school. I think this is a big issue. And it also seems like it's going to become more and more important as we get artificial intelligence developing into the curriculum. Well, today, my co-host, Crystal McGee, is with me, and she was able to interview someone that really deals with these issues quite regularly. That is Dr. Mary Annette Rose. She's an associate professor of educational studies at Ball State University, and she studies integrative STEM education. Now, Dr. Rose takes a a holistic approach to all of this. So she not only looks at the interdisciplinary elements of integration and not even looking at weaving STEM throughout the curriculum, so she also wants to integrate it into the community with partners, and she's actually written a book. She wrote a book with a couple of co-authors, Gisa and Stiff, and this book is titled Leadership in STEM Education. Collaborative Strategies for Facilitating an Experiential and Student-Centered Culture. Seems exactly like the person we want to talk to, and I think Crystal did a great interview. So, before we go to that interview, though, I want to remind you that I'm very interested in hearing from you. I'm going to put my email address right here. Please, if you've been listening to the podcast so far, feel free to reach out and contact me. Let me know what you would like us to talk about, or even if you're interested in being on the show. Also, be sure and check out my own LinkedIn. I always put information about STEM Lab. I talk about new episodes. We have a newsletter that goes out as well. Be sure and follow. Well, let's go see what Kristen McGee was able to find out in that interview.
0: Hello, Dr. Rose, and thank you for joining us here at STEM Lab. Oh, it's a delight to be here today to talk
2: about a subject that is near and dear to me.
0: Dr. Rose, I took a look at the book that you and your co-editors published very recently. Dr. Rose, I see that one of the main reasons why it looks like you guys published this book is because government agencies and also business leaders are interested in producing a STEM literate population. Is that the main reason why you guys took on this
2: project? Oh, well, certainly there are multiple driving forces uh, for the development of this book. Uh, personally, I've sp- I have spent about 15 years in public schools, uh, focused primarily upon technology education, and in that role, I uh, collaborated with my fellow math teachers and science teachers and began to understand, you know, way back in the 1980s, that um, the notion of integration in our school systems provides students with such a marvelous opportunity to bring those unique uh, knowledge pieces and skills that are developed across different disciplines to bear on real problems. And you know, Crystal, we're facing a lot of problems. And um, it is really important for us as leaders to uh, focus in on this notion of how can we develop the technological and evidence-based skills, the science and math that's needed to address those extreme challenges that we're facing and which our our children and their children are going to face in the future?
0: Where do you think those problems stem from? Because I was looking in your book, I saw that you and those that contributed to this book said that one of the issues that you're seeing, is that for some reason the United States is lacking an interest in the STEM fields, whereas other countries seem to have more of an increased interest in STEM fields. Is that the biggest obstacle that you're seeing? Or are there other things that are contributing to us not progressing in the STEM fields
2: like we should? Integration, as you know, requires a deep collaboration among people with different expertise. And our system is set up into, as you know, little silos that where students study science for 15 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes, and then they move over and they go to their mathematics classes. And so uh, if we look at pre-K-12 education in the elementary school, we do a much better job of providing opportunities for our children to uh apply these skills, regardless of where they might originate. We might call them science or social studies or so forth. But then as our children become youth, the number of opportunities we have in our educational systems for integration seems to, you know, diminish. And of course, teachers uh, specialize when they go to university to prepare to become teachers And so they become siloed. So that's one of the uh, driving forces by putting this book together uh, with uh, Krista Stith and Rachel Giesa is this idea that you have to have school leaders beyond teachers, principals, superintendents, curriculum directors, uh, STEM coordinators that are really focused in on how do we build a culture? How do we build that culture that's going to promote problem solving? innovation, evidence-based decision-making, and as part of what we do in every classroom. And so um, having that mindset is sometimes goes against a block wall about belief systems and what should be going on in classrooms.
0: Right, and so that was one of the key things that I saw in your book, saying that instead of having the discipline so separated, in school systems that we need to collaborate and integrate these subjects. Without giving too much away, Dr. Rose, can you tell us a few strategies that you think that educational leaders can use to actually encourage this type of collaboration um, within different disciplines?
2: Well, of course, making time available, making it uh, in the entire school calendar where that teachers from different disciplines are working together to inspect and understand what the uh, individual curriculum goals are and mapping out where those opportunities exist so that we have commonalities, uh, bringing forth, uh, uh, you know, helping everybody uh, better uh, deal with evidence-based decision-making. And uh, so looking at the data, not just once a year or twice a year, but looking at what's happening in your classroom. Peer observation is one of the best ways that I know about learning about what your neighbor down the hall is doing. And so that brings us back to okay, can we make time in our schedule so that each of us can go and learn from each other and then have time to not just debrief, but a plan for a future learning experience where each of us can bring our own expertise to bear and enable students to engage in that problem-solving innovation process. And then, of course, test their own uh, suggested solutions to problems to see where they might be able to improve. And seeing it as a continuous cycle. Uh, So often we think of uh, what we do as teachers, you know, the assessment's the end. No, it's not. The assessment is just feeding data back into our cycles again so that we can improve uh, our curriculum and teaching and instructional a- as we move forward together. So uh, how can we collaborate better is like the very basis of what we're talking about when we're talking about integration.
0: Could you provide us an example or where, of where integrative STEM education has proven to be successful in the classroom and even outside of the
2: classroom? If we think about elementary education, uh, the first school that pops to my mind is over in Lafayette and Sunnyside. They have arranged their school schedule so that a math and a science teacher actually share the same classroom. And, you know, often in our K-4 environment, students stay in one class and then will go out for their specials. But in this school, the, they have two classes back to back so that you're going to have an English and a social studies teacher that are collaborating, they're teaching in the same classroom together, and then right next door on the other side of the wall, you're going to have a science and math teacher that are teaching together. And so the student, and then the school as a whole, they have a, uh, a year-long endeavor where they're focused on a problem-solving activity that throughout the school year, they bring students back to particular facets of that problem. So one year, uh, they had a swim park that's located in their community, and the children noticed that uh, other of their peers were having difficulty accessing some of the um, infrastructure of the um, swim park, and in particular, students that were confined to a wheelchair could not access some of the slides and other things that other children were enjoying. So that problem that year was focused on, well, how can we expand opportunities for students that may be have mobility issues? And so, uh, during the school year, they learned in you know in different parts of their uh, studies about challenges that um, children with disabilities encounter. They also learned about some physics, even in elementary school, about how things work and lubrication and uh, slide angles. And they did a lot of experimentation. With things and models in their classroom, and then at the in springtime, they all got together and proposed their solutions to this problem, and invited the community to come in and see this. So that's a very good example of how the entire school—they changed their schedule to enable collaboration to occur. They focused in a theme for their at their school year and could return to that theme, and then. Really required children to do problem solving and propose solutions and test those solutions. And of course, a lot of those were done with small models, but uh, the idea is they then had the opportunity to share the excitement of what they had learned and what they proposed to improve the future. And
0: something that I wanted to ask you about, or just something that was reminiscent of my own childhood when I read the book. In 2010, the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology executive report states that too many American students conclude early in their education that STEM subjects are too boring, too difficult, and unwelcoming, leaving them ill-prepared to meet the challenges that they will face in their generation their country and the world and so how do we combat that as educators so that they can really like you said collaborate to solve those real
2: world problems i know that this is something that i struggle with as a young learner well crystal i think is critically important that uh we make learning fun and we activate that you know curiosity about uh what's happening in our world You know the next generation science standards has really focused in on this phenomenon based learning and you know raising curiosity about why things are happening the way that they are i can look back on my own experiences and of course when i was going through uh you know the fifth and sixth grade that was when uh uh, apollo missions were taking place and i have such an amazing science teacher uh, and, you know, we would look at uh, video clips of what was happening. We imagine discovering uh, different uh, things in outer space. And it became a, a real curiosity and a driving force for me just by the way that we encountered what was real, what was really going on in the world. And so... We can do that in so many ways. Let's open up our, our doors to our classrooms and let's make the outdoors an environmental education. We have to know about this wonderful uh, planet that we live on and how crucial it is to maintain pollinators. And that's something you can do with a few plants outside the door and taking children out to discover, oh, oh decomposition that's happening in the schoolyard. Uh, let's bring in outdoor, uh, to bring into the classroom experts from your immediate vicinity. STEM education is what is happening in your community also. Unfortunately, um, rural America is often, does not have the resources available to help make learning fun as much as we would like it to be. Uh, but with our online collaborative tools like we're using right here today. We can certainly bring uh, experts to bear to our classroom and see scenarios and go places we could not do physically. So that's another way that, you know, we can just help children see relevance to and possibilities. Uh, if you're living in a small community, you may only see, you know, roles a very few roles about what is possible for your own future and so you've got to open up those doors and spark spark possibilities and so that brings back the counselor uh when we're in schools we can't narrow our thinking to only oh i'm the only teacher is we've got to bring all our professionals into bear including our nurses in our schools our psychologists our, our counselors uh the bus driver all those people, you know, have such an important role. And we often uh, don't think about tapping into what they expertise they can bring in our classrooms.
0: It's interesting that you said that because, Dr. Rose, that was going to be my next question. I love all of the projects and ideas that are written in this book to inspire learning um, for our students, especially those from uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, many, many um different activities that I think educators could use and be inspired by from reading this book. And I'm glad that you um, offer some solutions to those that may not feel like they have the resources and funding available to really spark an interest in um, STEM disciplines. Now, Dr. Rose, one thing that I want to ask you, a lot of times when um, you guys are defining um, integrative STEM, You also talk about the importance of not only integrating the principles and um, concepts that are learned within STEM disciplines, but you also talk about making sure that we transcend STEM and go into non-STEM disciplines. How critically important is that, and how do you address it in your book?
2: Evidence-based decision-making is uh, certainly a goal that we have when we talk about civics education. We talk about social studies. And, uh, of course, in 2023, this is certainly um, something we see as an important uh, practice across our entire nation and our world. How in the world are we ever going to be able to to live and innovate and have high-quality lives if we cannot all agree on a process by which to make decisions when we live in a pluralistic society where we have people of different cultures with different values. So, um, evidence based decision making, of course, if we can agree on that and we can agree on a, a uh, systematic way of gathering data to inform our decisions, uh, is going to take us. Uh, far beyond, you know, this idea of mathematics and science and technology. It takes us into the realm of civics education and social studies and religion and peace studies. Uh, I don't know of, you know, even in our athletic programs and music programs, we've got to be able to make decisions. So um, I see that as transcending any... Uh, underlying curricular goals uh, because we need to live together in a peaceful fashion because we want our children to have a a very good life in the future. Before we conclude our
0: interview I want to ask you why is this text so important today?
2: Well uh Rachel Gisa, Krista Stith and I uh Really started out by gathering evidence. We were conducting a research study to try to understand what the many uh, responsibilities or roles might be needed if we were going to move forward to an integrative STEM world. And so uh, during our research, we discovered that there were uh, seven themes that were uh, really important. So, you know, many of us think about instruction and curriculum as being an important thing, but um, we've got to look beyond that. We've got to be able to uh, think about roles and responsibilities from the different facets and what different roles in the school system and in our community can do to contribute to that common vision. So the common vision, of course, would be the first first step that a leader might want to uh, take is how do we agree upon what that vision is, and then how do we help uh, transform our culture, change our practices so that we could achieve such a thing? So, you know, the first thing that arose very clearly from our research was the issue of mission and culture. And um, so getting everybody on the same stage, giving priority to this notion of inquiry, and innovation, and design, and evidence-based decision-making, and then empowering those individuals in your schools and communities that have the will and the skills to move along that pathway. And uh, certainly, some of the other aspects that we look specifically at were the issue of evaluating where we are. Seeing if our school system is actually, you know, positioned well so that we could make that transformation, and we're all at different, you know, we're at different places with different priorities, and and uh, so integrative STEM can occur within a single classroom, but ideally, we're talking about the whole system, the entire school and school system, putting some kind of priority upon this transformation. And so our book helps to point out what uh, aspects along all seven of these themes that we discovered, uh, what those roles and responsibilities could be so that we could all contribute to a contact.
0: I know I found it useful as an educator. I saw um, many different things that educators can use to transform, like you said, not only their classrooms, but our educational system as a whole. Thank you so much, Dr. Rose, for coming and talking to us on STEM Lab about this book and also some things that we could be doing to improve um, STEM education.
2: Thank you much, Crystal.
1: I enjoyed the interview. I think it brings up a philosophical question and something that's very pertinent, and that is how do we break down these silos that Dr. Rose was talking about and still teach the kids the basics they need to know? I think that we all agree that we need to start to integrate the STEM and the non-STEM courses. We need to integrate learning into the real world. We need to do more projects. Uh, based stuff. We need to do more research and inquiry, but we also need to do that while teaching the kids the basic elements. This is something that I would like to address over the next few shows, and we'll be starting the new year here in, in just a few weeks. Again, remember, if you'd like to write to me, please do. We'll be back next week with another good show. I think we have a good lineup for about five or six weeks now already ready to go. All right, until then, remember, keep learning and growing.
0: You have been listening to STEM Lab, produced in the studios of the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics.